Let's pray. God, last week we heard the phrase, holy ground. This week we're going to hear the phrase, holy ground. We're not what makes ground holy, God. Nothing that we do, no prayer that we can say, no right way that we can live makes ground holy. Only you. You alone, God, make ground holy. We hear about that in our passages and we think that's something that maybe happened a long time ago. But God, you want to be present with us here even now today. Every Sunday we pray and we welcome your Holy Spirit, God. We want you to know that we want you in this place. We want all of our worship, everything that we do, to be about you, to be focused on you. God, we know that we are here for you because you were here first for us. This morning we're going to talk about leadership. And we're going to talk about what that means and how you call all of us to be leaders because each one of us is challenged and called to bring people to you. And God, leadership is a touchy topic, especially when we get into the world of politics. And so we can have our ears closed and our hearts hard and our minds shut. But help us to hear your word today. Help us to hear where the intersection of your word and our world are in the life that we're living. Because God, it is so important. It is so important now more than ever. So God, we just give this time to you. Pray that you would, in fact, open our ears and our minds, open our hearts to what it is that you have for us. And maybe it's going to be a challenge. Maybe it'll be something that confirms what we were thinking all along. But God, we give this time to you and pray that it's to your greatest glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we did this thing, you know, about uh, giving a shout out. If you're, if you're here, where are you from? And so Deb came up to me first service and said, we got somebody watching from Haiti. Oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, I know that uh, last Sunday someone came up and said, I think their friends are from Auburn, Washington, and they watch every week. And why is it important? It's important because when the pandemic first hit a few years ago and this place was empty, I I made the statement one Sunday, uh, you are the Open Door Christian Church. It it isn't the space. It isn't the people who are on this platform. You, you the people who choose to call it home, are the Open Door Christian Church. And And our church gathers all over the place. So we've got friends in Auburn and we've got friends in Haiti. I know we've got... Friends watching in Kalispell, Stephen and Jake are watching out there. Uh, I heard Roger uh, in uh, Alabama is going to be watching today. And you know, what happens is when we gather for God's purposes and when we gather to grow as God's people, you know, kind of word goes out. And that's a pretty awesome thing because we're challenged and talking about leadership today. And that's what we're going to talk about. That's a challenging thing in our world because everybody's got a different idea of what they want in a leader. That's how politics have gotten so divisive. But I want you to hear this message not as a political one, because it's not intended to be. I want you to hear it as a personal one, because that's what God wants from us, is to put ourselves in the middle of Scripture and understand what he's saying to us. And so we're going to talk about leadership, and we're going to talk about leadership in the context of an Old Testament guy named Joshua. Joshua is the one that came right after Moses. And leadership is important because every single one of us sits under the authority of other people. But I'm also going to make the statement today that every single one of us is a leader in ways great and small. Now, you might not like all the leaders that are over you. You might not respect them. You maybe wish they weren't there. Some of them we elected and we'll get a chance to change. But they're in position of leadership in our lives nonetheless. If you're the owner of your own company... You have a leader over you in terms of the government telling you how you have to operate your business. And then you're a leader in terms of the people who work for you. Maybe you manage a shift full of employees. You're a leader. 
Maybe for you, it's you're a parent and you've got a few kids at home and they're just starting to figure out what the world is like. You are their leader. It could be that you're a teacher at school. You're a leader. Maybe you're a student. You have leaders over you. Maybe you're a student athlete. Your coaches are leaders. Maybe you're a school administrator and then you are certainly a leader. There's a lot of different positions of leadership, some in charge of many more people and some are in charge of fewer. But you know what? God expects all leaders to be godly leaders. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And so when I say I'm going to make the case that all of us are a leader one way or another, if there is anybody in this world that looks to you for direction, you're in a position of leadership. And God is looking for leaders who are willing and faithful. And if we're willing and faithful, the lessons from the Old Testament teach us, God is going to be there and God is going to provide and God is going to use you in the position that you're in to lead somebody to Him. Now, I'm going to state the obvious here. I realize that, okay? At its simplest form, leaders lead and followers follow. But both of those have a call to be godly in what they do because most of us serve as both in different parts of our life. Leaders and followers make all the difference in the world. We just looked at how Moses led the nation of Egypt out of slavery, or excuse me, the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt onto the promised land that God had said, this is what's before you. And they took what should have been about a three week trip and they stretched it out into 40 years worth of wandering and whining and complaining. But you know, Moses never made it to the promised land. Because there was a point in the middle of that whole journey where God found him not to be fully faithful and obedient. And Moses was not allowed to step into the promised land. Somebody else did. And then you got all these people that were stubborn and they came up with false gods. They didn't want to follow God. They didn't want to follow God's appointed leader. And only two of them, two of the millions that left Egypt, only two, and we're going to study one of them today, actually set foot in the promised land. This idea of being a leader and following leaders biblically is so important. And whether you're a leader or a follower, being a godly leader or godly follower is most important. Now, before you decide, I'm going to tune them out. You're going to go find something else to watch on TV. I'm going to turn off my computer. Or are you going to get up and a cup, get a cup of coffee that takes you out the door? Stop for just a moment. Before you make the decision that you're not a leader, let's take a look at this. If there's anybody in this world that asks you for your opinion, they see you as a leader. If there's anybody out there that seeks your advice, that when they're struggling, you're the one or one of the ones that they go and talk to about how they take the next step forward, you're a leader to them. If there are people who count on you for your, their safety, their protection, their provision, their shelter, you're a leader. If you are any one of those things and a whole lot of other questions that we could ask, you are a leader to someone else who sees you and looks to you to help guide and direct them. And so in greater and lesser ways, every single one of us is in leadership. And leadership matters. Godly leadership matters even more. And with leadership and obeying leadership, it starts when we're young. We learn early on from our parents and from whoever else has influence over what it is to be a follower and what it is to respect a leader. It begins at home. Proverbs 29, starting in verse 15, says this. To discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. 
That puts the responsibility on leadership and followership on mom and child. Parent and kids are both having a part in this. Verse 16, when the wicked are in authority, sin flourishes, but the godly will live to see their downfall. When the wicked are in authority, more often than not, it's because we voted them into that place of authority. We are the ones, whether you did it yourself or not, we as the people elect them. That's the great part about living in America. We elect our leaders for better or for worse. Some of us in Minnesota are mourning the decisions that our leaders are making these days. Verse 17, discipline your children and they will give you peace of mind and will make your heart glad. Discipline and obeying God's discipline are necessary and good for everyone. I told you last week, the Ten Commandments, what they really are is they're ten simple rules for us to get along well and in healthy ways with each other and for us to get along well and in healthy ways with God. It's to understand our place in God's leadership over us. Verse 18, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild, but whoever obeys the law is joyful. Maybe that verse from Proverbs you've heard is this, and you know it as, without vision, the people perish. I like the NLT translation because direction must come from God. Your idea isn't necessarily a vision, it's an idea. It may turn into a plan, it may turn into a plan that God laughs at. But when our direction comes from the Lord, we know that the Lord is behind it. That's the heart of leadership. And then it says when it does not, when people don't obey God, when people in power don't, it says they tend to run wild. They run wild very quickly. When there's no one to discipline and there's no one to bring them back to godly ways, they run further and further into their own wicked ways. It doesn't just happen on a national or a state or a local level. It happens in houses. Happens in schools, happens in businesses. Leadership is so important. And instead of saying, yeah, I wish I had a better leader over here, I'm going to challenge you right away at the beginning to say, what kind of a leader are you being? <clears throat> to the people who look for you, <clears throat> look to you, what kind of a leader are you being? Last week I talked about that Minnesota House vote that passed the most permissive abortion legisla- legislation in the world. <clears throat> Yesterday morning, 3 a.m. in St. Paul, the Senate passed it as well, by one vote. Which means probably this week it'll go for signing by our governor, who more than likely and by every assumption is going to sign it. Those are our leaders. And maybe you didn't elect the ones who made the decisions, but the point is made that we, the people, are the ones who put them in office. See, we live in a world and in a nation and in a state that are all suffering from a lack of godly leadership. Authentic, godly leadership. We got leaders at every level who are more worried about their personal income, about, about their personal agendas, about their re-election than they are about governing the people who elected them, much less about governing them in a God-honoring way with the authority that they have. And it ends up being the very people who put them in office pay the price for the decisions they make. They may run wild, but the people who put them there pay the price. So leadership is important. This goes beyond politics, folks. This goes, be, this goes to God-honoring leadership. And our responsibility is to make sure that those are our leaders. Leadership is important. We're going to take a look at Joshua. I've never understood why Joshua 
isn't the guy that the Bible lifts up as the hero of the Exodus. Yeah, Moses was the one that argued with God, but God got mad at him. The anger of the Lord burned against him, it says. Yeah, he had the staff that did these cool miracles. He was the one that went to Pharaoh. He was the one that kind of spoke for God and initiated the plagues. But you know what? He's also the one that spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness with the people, and they couldn't even make it to home plate, to the promised land. Joshua, on the other hand, Joshua is the one that God appointed and and Moses commanded and anointed, and he led the people into the promised land. Only two guys managed to make that happen. The book of Joshua records this next part of the great redeeming work of God gathering up his people and living out the promise. And so in Numbers 27, a different book, Moses is near the end of his life. And God goes to Moses and he says, you know, basically take Jethro, this guy that's been following you, this guy who you've been a mentor to, a guy that has been around for a long time and seeing how you work and how I work and how we work together. And I want you to pray over him and I want you to command him to lead the nation of Israel. He's going to be the next leader. And Moses does that. And that's the most significant succession of leadership that the Bible has to this point. When Moses takes his leadership and hands it off with his blessing, his blessing, the passing of that baton of leadership happens and it is incredibly significant. It's important because Joshua is going to lead a nation of people. So let's break that down for a second. We know it's two and a half to three million. Maybe after the time of the wandering, it was even more. The point is, it's a good sized state. If we put it in the context of our world, Three, three and a half million people, that's a pretty good sized state in the United States. Yes, it's a nation, but we can also bring it home and say it's basically the size of most states, if not many, at least many states in the U.S. Joshua is going to be the leader of a nation of people. And what God expects of Joshua is no different than what God expects of the leaders today. It's no different at all. We know that because God doesn't change and his expectations don't change. And so it was true for Joshua. It's true for us today. God expects leaders to lead according to his commands. That's why he gave them to us. Not to go find a better way or to think that we're the exception to the rule. God expects leaders to lead according to his commands. That's how it's supposed to be. That's God's normal. And when we do that, it's amazing when you look at the Bible and at human history how well things seems to go, seem to go. But what we're seeing in our, our nation and in our world and in our state of Minnesota, it's not God's normal. It's Satan's playground. And you know, we can point our fingers, but at the end of the day, we have to accept responsibility for allowing to happen what's happening. So in the opening verses of the book of Joshua, Starting at 1-1, God says to Joshua, Joshua 1-1, Moses, my servant, is dead. It's interesting how God just brushes right over it. Moses did his part, and now he's gone. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over the Jordan, you and all the people into that land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Every bit of ground that you see and touch is yours. And God goes on and he says this incredible blessing and promise to Joshua. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. God repeats that phrase with Joshua more than once. Be strong and courageous. Why is that? Because being a godly leader in the face of a world without discipline and a world that doesn't love God Take strength and courage. 
You know that as a parent. If you've ever stood for your faith in the workplace, if you've ever stood for your faith at school, if you've ever stood for your faith at a, at a bar or a restaurant or a coffee shop, it takes strength and courage. And God says to Joshua, you're not going to do it alone. I'm going to be here with you, but be strong and be courageous. Following God requires strong and courageous people. And if those people are going to accept the responsibility of leadership, ever more important to be strong and courageous. Now, it's important we know this statement is specifically to Joshua, right? God has called Joshua to this purpose, and God is encouraging him and making this promise. However, God's enduring promise to always be with us, to never leave us or forsake us, occurs throughout Scripture. So God says the same thing to us. So why is it so important that God knows that, that he's encouraging us, that he's, that he's making these promises? It's important to Joshua, but it's important to us too. So I think that we're going to soon be a part of a world where we're going to understand it in a very different way. Number one, Joshua had seen firsthand the struggles that Moses faced during the wilderness wandering. He saw the time that, that he spent with God. He saw how much he poured into it as the leader of the people. He saw the way the people rebelled. He saw what Moses went through. God knows that Joshua witnessed the personal relationship that Moses had with God. He understood what it was to be that personally connected to God the Father. And finally, God knew the hearts of the people of Israel, and God knew the challenges that lie ahead for Joshua as a leader. And he knew it wasn't going to be easy. Joshua was about to need to serve as judge, military general, encourager, historian, direction giver. The role as leader is never just to stand in front of people and bark orders. And so God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. See, what we learn from Moses and what we learn from Joshua and from others, the real work <clears throat> and worth of a leader happens when the crowds aren't watching. The real work is vision and trust and prayer and faith while the leader is at work for God's people. And God knew that was going to be a challenge for Joshua because it wasn't going to be easy. So after this encounter, then God gives him this blessing. He sends him out into the people to tell him, gather up your stuff. You're going to take a three-day journey. We're going to cross the Jordan River. Well, the Jordan at this point is a pretty wide river. And the people looked at him and go, well, we're not just walking across there. And they weren't going to just gather up their belongings and build a bridge. But Joshua basically says, we trust God. God is going to do this. And he wants us to cross the Jordan. And so what they do is they say, well, we'll follow you, because they had a history of knowing that Joshua was with Moses, and God had been with Moses and now promised to be with Joshua. And so he knows that they're going to cross the River Jordan, and just ahead of that he sends these two guys into the Promised Land to check it out and to make sure what's going on. They run into this woman named Rahab, and she ends up helping out, and she says, you know what, when you get here, we already know who you are. We know God is with you. We know your story, and the people are literally going to melt away they're going to melt away when they see you. And so the first city that God calls him to go to is the city of Jericho. Deidre and I have been to Jericho twice. We've stood on this hill. They call it a tell because there's ancient ruins below it that have yet to be excavated. And the modern city of Jericho lies on the plain below. Jericho is the oldest constantly inhabited city on earth. The oldest continually inhabited city on earth. That's where God sends the Israelites to begin. 
So God leads the people through the Jordan River. How? He has the priest steps into the water, the, the water parts, the Ark of the Covenant goes ahead before them, and the people follow the water parts. In Joshua 4.1, though, God says, we're not done. Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe one man, the 12 tribes of Jacob, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan and make a monument. What God did was to say, you go into the place that you shouldn't have been able to cross, this place that's going to always remind you of what I did for you, and you build a monument of these 12 stones, one stone representing each of the tribes of Israel. And you will know, the Bible says, you are, God is mighty and you may fear the Lord your God forever. There's an old hymn and it says, here I raise my Ebenezer. Anybody know that one? Remember that line? It should be Ebenezer, but we say, no, really? None of you? Come on, there's a few. Thank you. There's some of you who do. And Ebenezer is a stone monument. It's a stone of remembrance. And that's when I say, here I raise my Ebenezer. Here is where I am going to make a statement that God was with me, and I'm never going to forget that God is always going to be with me. Joseph, he named his sons after the things that God had done, the good and the bad. God's past faithfulness and a reminder of God's future faithfulness. That's the whole point. And one of the problems that we have with people who claim to be leaders, especially when they're looking for votes to be elected. They invoke the name of God because it's popular with some people, as though God was with them, or more importantly, that they live for God, but their actions at every turn betray God's commands. See, too many people do not fear God because they do not know and obey God. And Joshua wanted to make sure that the people knew God, and knew that they could trust and obey God. So before we get too excited, because it's easy for us with politics to to point our fingers at the other side and get upset with the people that we don't like and that are causing all the problems, uh, at least in your own opinion, right? Let me ask you this. Who did you cast your votes for? Who did you cast your votes for in the last election? And does their life and leadership and politics honor God? If not, they're not being godly leaders. Every time we come to an election, I don't tell you who to vote for. That's not my job. What I do say is make sure that when you cast your vote, you cast your vote according to your faith, not according to your political party. It's the only way we're going to ever elect godly leaders. See, that matters because your vote isn't just your consent. It's your endorsement. It's you validating them as people and their agenda. So from here, the the Bible goes on and it tells some amazing, uh, there's some amazing passages because Joshua doesn't get to just take over the promised land. There's all kinds of people living there. They've been living there for a very long time. Different cultures, they worship different gods. And there was going to be a conquest that God was leading Joshua to. And that's part of why he said, I will be with you the way I was with Moses, because he knew that there was going to be some struggles ahead. I've heard some ridiculous interpretations and sermons, and I've heard people prattle on about how when God brought people to the promised land, it just shows, well, God plays favorites. God is so wrong. God is racist. All of this stuff. No. If you've ever heard that or ever thought that, here's my response to you. All of the earth and everything in it, including everyone, belongs to God. You belong to God and I belong to God. God will do with us according to God's good pleasure. And that's a hard thing to swallow, which is why it's so important that we live faithfully according to what God has called us to. 
In Psalm 50, God says, for all the world is mine and everything in it, the land and the people, and that includes you and I. All of it, all of us are God's, and God is free to do with us as he chooses. You might not like the sound of that, but it doesn't change the reality of that, which is why it's so important that we know who God is and have a personal relationship with him, because we are his. So God directs Joshua to begin with the city of Jericho. There's this great passage about how it is that they take the city of Jericho. But just before this in chapter 5 is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Chapter 5, starting in verse 13, if you've got your Bibles with you. Here we go. They're just about to ready. The next topic in your Bible is the fall of Jericho. So that's what comes next. There's going to be the first time that there's going to be a battle. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. This didn't surprise Joshua because it was a battle. There, there wasn't going to be a city that just laid down and let them have it, at least not in his mind. So the guy's got a sword and Joshua went up to him and he demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, the man replied. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Joshua, the man that God had told Moses, appoint him as the leader of my people, realizes that he is under authority. This person shows up and he says he's the commander of the Lord's army. And immediately Joshua, the leader of the army of Israel, bowed down in reverence because he understood that he was under this man's authority. This man was his leader. So who's the commander? Well, when we look at it, the very thing, same thing is said to Joshua, is said to Moses. Take off your sandals for the ground where you are standing is holy ground. What makes ground holy? The presence of God. Somehow it appears, and most people that write about the Bible agree with this, somehow this is Jesus leading the angel army. The Bible talks about the heavenly host. The heavenly host, and we see that in the New Testament, we hear that phrase. What that really is, is the angel armies of heaven. And this man was the leader of the angel army of heaven. Joshua wasn't just promised that God would be with him. Here the Lord is with Joshua commanding the armies of heaven on Joshua's behalf. That is an awesome, awesome thought. You have to believe that Joshua had all of the things that he was concerned about what might happen taking Jericho just kind of disappear when he realized who was on his side. But why does it matter? What does it matter to you and I? Because the Bible tells us that you and I are constantly surrounded by angels. We don't see them, but they're there by angel armies that are prepared and ready to go to battle on our behalf, just like what we read about in Joshua. But see, we need to invite them through prayer and through faithfulness and obedience. And the problem is, and what quite frankly terrifies me about our world today, is we have leaders who are fighting against the army of heaven. They're fighting against the angel armies of heaven as they break God's commands. And you and I, we're the ones that are caught in that crossfire. Why is prayer so important at the open door? Why do we have four corners? Why do we start every service? Why do we, we make that one of the three foundations of ours? Because God has already supplied his angel army on our behalf. And it's prayer and faithful obedience that activates that army. 
every once in a while people ask me, don't you kind of get embarrassed? Isn't it kind of hard to stand up and ask for money and volunteers and stuff? No, it's not. It's not hard at all because I believe in this place and I believe in you, the people who make up the open door, and I believe that we are faithful to the call that God has placed on us. I know that we're following God's command to love Jesus and love people and teach people to love Jesus. I know that we don't just talk about putting a high priority on the Bible. It is where all of our messages come from. We actually do it. See, later on in chapter 23, verse 16, there's a warning. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. This is, this is Joshua speaking to the people. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and you go and you serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. He knew something about that because the angel of the, of the Lord had been, anger of the Lord had been kindled against Moses. Joshua knew that wasn't where you wanted to be. And you shall perish quickly from off of the good land that he has given you. You don't just get to take over and then go on your way. Don't transgress the covenant that God commanded and don't serve other gods. And yet we do that all the time. We serve other gods in little ways and in big ways. We're watching it in our world as the daily transgression or breaking of the commands of God, not just by us as sinners, but by our leaders. And so it leaves you and I with, with the question that Joshua is going to pose. Who do you stand behind? Who do you support? Who do you believe in and who do you vote for? See, mark my words, the day is going to come when you're going to need to be prepared to give an answer to the question, who do you serve? The day is coming and it's coming soon. You will be asked, who do you serve? Who do you stand for? What do you believe in? And you will be challenged to serve another God because that's the way that it's always been done through history. That's the way the devil works. It may come from someone at work. It may come from a union you belong to or a boss. It may come from someone who's an administrator at your job or school. It may come from someone in a police uniform or a military uniform or a United Nations uniform, but that day will come. Who do you serve? And let me tell you, that moment is not the time to figure that out. This is, right now. If there's anything that's heavy on my heart, it's to make sure that we, the people of God, are prepared for that day of challenge, just like God made sure that Joshua was prepared. So what about you? Joshua 29.11, or Jeremiah 29.11, God says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster to give you future and a hope. That's God's intent for your life. That's God. That's what God wants for you when we are following and are faithful to him. So what about you? Joshua 24.15. Joshua lays it out really plainly for the Israelites and a few thousand years later for you and I. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods, small g, that your fathers served beyond the river. They crossed the Jordan, and what was past was behind them. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. I would say put away the gods that you served before you became a new creation in Jesus. Put away those things that occupied your time and attention and affection. And when you become a new creation in Jesus, all those need to change. And he goes on and he says, If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. 
whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land in whom you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's shocking to me how many people in our world choose to serve so many things other than God. We have people that we run into every day. We have elected officials. We've got people in assumed leadership. We've got people who have created a place of leadership who clearly believe that it is evil for them to serve God because that's how they're living. But we also have people around us who serve God faithfully as they serve in political office, as they serve in schools, as they serve in workplaces, as they serve in the bars and the restaurants and the coffee shop. We've got people who are on the front line serving, and they serve you and I, and they serve the world around them. People who are living to follow God. We're blessed to have them in local and state and federal office here. Those are the leaders that we need to speak up for, to support, to pray for, and to vote for. Those are the leaders that are serving God, even though the circumstances are extremely difficult. Because wherever the place is, whether it's a workplace or school or a political forum, standing for Jesus isn't popular. You will endure hatred and the ridicule of the people around you who have chosen to serve something else. Those are the leaders that we have to be praying patience and power and protection for. Those are the leaders, even if it's our own home, that we have to be. See, there's another piece to this promised land story. Joshua was faithful to God all throughout the days of his life, including dividing the promised land up into 12 different parcels, one for each of the 12 tribes. And he didn't claim anything for himself. You read the book, and when you get to that point, he divided everything up. He waited for the people to give him some land as a thank you for being such a good leader. He waited for them to decide, here is what he should have. He didn't claim it for himself. And just as God had promised, the Israelites took the possession of all of it. Every bit of that land that God had called them to. Every nation, every people, every false god was driven out. Every single one of them. And that land was given by God to the Israelites because every single one of those nations denied God. They denied God's protection. They denied God's blessing. They denied God for who he was because they served their own desires and they worshiped their own false gods. Every single one of those nations was overthrown. Their lands and their wealth were given to God's chosen people because in God's eyes they were evil. They chose to serve something and someone other than him. Every single one of them. Gone. Let that sink in if you think God isn't serious about a nation serving him. Leadership isn't about controlling people. Leadership is all about choosing who you will serve and how you will lead and serve the people you're called to lead. So who will you serve? At the open door, we continue to serve the Lord. We'll we'll be a gathering of sinful people who worship a perfect Savior. And we'll serve the Lord, our Creator and our Redeemer, by loving Jesus and loving people and teaching people to love Jesus. By continuing to make Sure, that the Bible and prayer and worship are the three foundations that we build every worship service on and who we are, all of our ministries. We'll give faithfully to God's work because we know that God is the one who provides for us. We know that all of the earth and everything in it, including what we think is our money, is really God's. And we'll lead by example. 
will teach the timeless truths of God's unfailing and unchanging word. Because that is what we've been called by God to do. That is what you have been called to do. It may be only one person that you can think of. Maybe in your life you can think of only one person that you lead. Just imagine for a moment if that one person was your responsibility and you had the opportunity to lead them into a relationship with Jesus or to help them grow. Who will you serve? What will you do? How will you lead? What about you and your house? Who will you serve? See, God is for you. Jesus died for you. It was the evil of this world that crucified him, and it was the power of God that raised him to a new life, just like God promises to raise you to a new life as a new creation in him. Jesus died for you. You hear me say this all the time. Jesus died for you. All he asks is that you live for him. That's choosing who you will serve. Choose this day who you will serve, because the day will come when you'll be challenged, and you will have to have an answer. Let's pray. God, thank you for Joshua. Thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you for the way that he led the people of Israel. Thank you for the way that you were faithful and consistent. Your word sounds challenging and difficult in a world that wants to make everything soft and fuzzy. But God, it's not hard to follow you. It's not hard to follow you at all. What's hard is trying to live in this world, to be a part of this world, to live for this world, and still try to hang on to you somehow. And that very simple question, who will we serve? That's the one that makes all the difference in the world, that makes all the difference in eternity. Because who we serve defines how we live, who we love, and where eternity is spent. And even if there are folks that have never considered that, God, today, press that on their hearts. That question, who will they serve? God, we want to be people who serve to choose you, no matter what that takes. Thank you for Jesus and what he did for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.